Yes, I want to bring to you a fantastic reading. Um, it's the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, uh, and it's verses 1 to 20. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers and sisters to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests and everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We thank God for his word to us. So, before we tell stories in our church, we have a certain tradition that you do rigorously, um, every family service, uh, or in fact whenever I tell a story at all, and that is that we invite the children to come down to the front of the church, and then we invite them um, to find a certain cream. So boys and girls, I want you now to look into the recess of your pocket, and if you dig deep down into your pocket, you should find a little container looking like that. Put it in your opposite hand, hold on nice and tight, undo the lid, put the lid somewhere safe, and start to pull on somebody's cream, because this cream's called imagination cream, and this cream helps you 
to imagine. So don't forget to put the lid back on, don't spill it on the carpet, and put the container back until next time. Because I want to tell you a story about a very special insect. There are many stories that have a sting in the tail, but none more so than the story of Beryl the bumblebee. Now Beryl was just your typical bumble. A large, hairy, flying insect with a distinctive red and black overcoat that's nature's way of saying, danger, do not touch, I sting. But in truth, that's not the case with this particular insect. As bumblebees are very different from wasps and other stinging insects. Bumbles don't just sing for, sting for the sake of it. Rather, they prefer to leave alone and well be left alone. They're a very gentle insect and don't take any pleasure from stinging or causing pain to people. Now, bumblebees often make their nests underground using the holes vacated by other small mammals like voles or mice. When they discover such an empty burrow, the queen bee goes into the hole first and begins to build a nest, making a waxy substance used, using wood and other things that she's collected from the trees around the area. And then she lays a lot of eggs that will eventually grow into other bees to work and look after the nest. And Beryl was such one such bee, she was a worker bee. And she had two friends, a wasp called Wanda and a horsefly called Harriet. Now one day as Beryl was bumbling around, collecting pollen and nectar for her nest, she heard the familiar buzzing of her two friends, Wanda and Harriet. Hello, Beryl, buzzed Wanda. What are you up to? Oh, just the usual, said Beryl. You know, collecting wood for the nest. Oh, you live such a boring life, said Harriet. Don't you ever get fed up looking after that stupid nest of yours? Why don't you come with us and live a little, darling? Yes, I did wonder. We have just been having a great fun down at the school playground. I called up little boy Schultz and stung him on the bottom. You should have seen him scream and dance around. Why, that's terrible, scolded Beryl. Why do you enjoy causing such pain? Don't mock it until you've tried it, buzzed Wanda. You wouldn't say that if you had been there to see it. Oh, yes, I would, said Beryl. I don't think our sting should be used for fun. Well, come along and show us now and prove it, taunted Wanda. So Beryl the Bumblebee left her flowers to follow Wanda the Wasp and Harriet the Horsefly back to the school. Once the flight of insects reached the playground, Beryl watched as Wanda began to buzz around a little boy who was trying to eat his sandwiches. The little lad tried to brush the wasp away, but it was always too slow to swat it. And Wanda returned to the other two insects and said, did you see that? You must agree, Beryl, that was very, very fun. I think it was horrible, said Beryl. The little boy was just trying to eat his sandwiches, and all you did was annoy him. Well, if you want to see some real fun, you should watch this, darling, said Wanda. And she flew off. She buzzed back to the little boy and gently crawled up his trouser leg. And then, when she was about halfway up, she began to buzz around inside his trousers. The little boy leapt to his feet, spilling the contents of his lunchbox all over the playground. He began to dance with his efforts to get the wasp out of his trousers. Wanda continued to torment the lad until she got bored and so stung him on the bottom and flew back to her friends. The little lad hollowed in pain and ran to find the school nurse. Harriet thought it was great fun and buzzed with delight when Wanda returned, but Beryl said angrily, well that was simply vicious Wanda. You should be ashamed of yourself. Your sting is not given to hurt people without cause. It's insects like you that give us all a bad name. Ha, said Wanda. 
You're just chicken. You're just too scared to risk being swatted. You don't know what fun you can have using your sting. Beryl is right, said Harriet. Stinging people for fun, I think, is nasty. That's why I prefer to take a good bite instead. <laughs> Watch this. And with that, Harriet the horsefly flew off in search of some poor victim. She soon found it in a little girl who was reading a book sitting cross-legged on the grass. Harriet was very skilled at landing gently on a person's skin, so alighted on the girl's leg without her noticing. Then just as the girl reached an interesting part in the book, Harriet opened her mouth and took a chunk out of the, ear, the exposed pink flesh. The unsuspected child let out a terrified scream. Dr. Booker leapt to her feet instantly, nursing her wound. Her mission accomplished, Harriet buzzed back to the other two to find Wanda rolling about with laughter. That was great, Harriet. Perfect timing. You know, you really know how to inflict a bite. You should try it, Beryl. I think you're both nasty, said Beryl. God didn't give us our stings or teeth to make people's lives a misery. They have a more serious purpose. You're just a coward. Buzzed Harriet. You're just too scared to go near people in case you get squatted. Yes, Buzz Wonder in agreement. What a waste of a good sting to give it to such a gutless bee. Let's just leave Beryl alone. Let's leave alone this boring bee. Yes, echoed Harriet. Just buzz off. The next day, as Beryl was collecting more nectar to make honey to feed the young grubs in her nest, she heard her two friends flying around taunting her, Beryl's a bumblebee who's too scared to rumble. As all can see, she's a cowardly old bee. Beryl was hurt by her friend's taunts. But then she saw something that made her hair stand on end. It, there in the grass was an old rat making its way towards her nest. Oh no, buzzed Beryl. That old rat's after her honey. The nest is far too young to defend itself. Most of the worker bees are out searching for pollen and nectar. That rat will kill our young and destroy our nest. What are you going to do now, you wimp? taunted Wanda and Harriet. But Beryl didn't hear them. She was already on her way. She smoothed down her hair to increase her speed and flew right at the old rat. At first she buzzed around his head to scare, to scare it away. She dive-bombed him from left and from right. But this old rodent was having none of that. He'd been in too many fights to be frightened by the buzz of a little bee. Next she tried to crawl into his eyes and ears, but the rat just brushed the insect away and continued towards the nest, the smell of honey fresh in his nose. Finally, Beryl knew there was only one thing for it. She aimed with care and shouted, You dirty rat! Before planting her sting right on the end of the old rat's nose. The rat stopped dead in its tracks. It let out an enormous squeak and it turned and fled, nursing a nose that was now three times the size it had been. When Wanda and Harriet eventually found Beryl, she was lying at the top of a tall stool, and her buzz was very weak. They landed beside her, and, and the wasp said, There, I told you that was good fun. How do you feel about stinging now? But then they both noticed something terrible. Beryl was bleeding. In fact, where her sting had been was a gaping hole. And they suddenly both realised that Beryl was dying. Bees, bees only sting if they have to, croaked Beryl. When we do, our, our, our stings are left in the creature. We sting 
and so we die. I told you stinging was not for fun. So why did you do it? asked Wanda. Yes, why? buzzed Harriet. Because it was the only way to save a nest. If I hadn't given up my sting, hundreds of others would have died. And I love a nest too much to let that happen. And with that, the buzz went out of Beryl's wings. And I think we called her a coward, said Wanda and Harriet. Christ is risen from the dead. A woman in the maternity wing of Colchester General Hospital was in labour, and all of a sudden she started to shout out, Wouldn't! Couldn't! Shouldn't! Didn't! Can't! And the doctor turned to the worried-looking husband and said, Please don't worry, Mr. Smith. These are just contractions. I wonder if you've ever shouted out loud, and what caused such an outburst? We Brits don't like to shout too much because it's considered bad form, a bit too emotional. And we don't like to do emotions, certainly not publicly. And yet this sense of decorum is totally reversed when people go into a stadium and watch their team play football. And Mike spoke about that earlier on. Suddenly, we all become experts. And we can be heard shouting from the stands, pass it, cross it, tackle him, kick it, shoot. And if all else fails, Referee! People like to show their support with shouts. Just so in the story of the death of Jesus, we hear three shouts. The first we hear as he enters the city of Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday. The second after his arrest as he stands before the Roman governor and all the people. And the final cry we hear comes from Jesus himself as he hangs dying upon a cross. These three cries from three different sets of people reveal us just what Easter's about. And the first shout occurs for us in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 9, where we hear the crowd shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna is a, a Hebrew expression which literally means come Lord or save Lord. It was originally a cry for help, a prayer, if you like, asking God to come and help us, but eventually evolved and morphed into a, a declaration of praise. So the people were both praising Jesus and asking him to save them. This was not so much a shout of the people of Jerusalem, but of the pilgrims on their way into Jerusalem, from the fields and the countryside thereabout. For the city was hosting the festival of Passover. This is the cry of those who are walking with Jesus. Hosanna was the cry of the pilgrims, those on a journey with God. They saw Jesus as being more than just another pilgrim, but as someone who was coming in the name of the Lord to save them. And so they cried, Hosanna. However, the second shout happened just five days, deep within the bowels of that city, when the mood had changed. This was another crowd, not the happy-go-lucky crowd of the pilgrims journeying with Jesus into the city. This was the voice of the sophisticates, those who were city dwellers, those of the businesses, those intellectuals, those who were more sophisticated than those country bumpkins that were on a pilgrim journey with Jesus. And they saw Jesus as a threat to their lifestyle, a threat to their reputation. He demanded changes that they just were not willing to consider. He had to be silence. And so they broke the silence with a roar. 
to kill him. We read about this in Matthew 27. The Roman procurator Pilate poses a question. We read there, what shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. This was a crowd that could not be reasoned with. When Pilate asked the question, why? They just shouted louder and louder, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus was a threat, but needed to be silenced by those shouts. And so this led to a cross outside Jerusalem on which a totally innocent man was hung by nails, driven through his hands and his feet. But other plans were at work. Those leaders thought they were in control. Satan believed he had all the luck in the world. The people believed that Pilate had conceded to their demands. But actually God was behind these developments. Because Jesus' death was not an accident. It was the only way to defeat death itself, once and for all. The Bible tells us this. For when we were still helpless, Jesus died for the wicked at a time that God had chosen. It is a difficult thing for someone to die for a good person. It may even be that someone might dare to die for someone who is morally good. But God has shown us how much he loves us. It was while we were still sinners, still morally corrupt, that Christ died for us. And by his death, we are now put right with God. You see, Jesus' death was an accident. He died so that we might live. A bit like Beryl the bumblebee. He died to save us. He removed the sin that stood between us and God. He died because that was the only way to save us. And it's here, this final part of the story of Easter, that we hear the third, the, the third cry. John 19 verse 30 tells us, Jesus said, it is finished. With that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus' last cry, his last shout from the cross, was not a call for revenge on all his haters. It was not to call down judgment on his murderers. It was a statement that now the task is complete. The job was finished. He had achieved what he'd come to do. He came to call down judgment, not on us, but on himself. To stand between us and death. And it was not a whimper. It was not a gasp. It was a cry of victory. It is finished. It is done. It is completed. And the proof of that was seen three days later. When the signs of the tomb were shattered by another shout. He is risen. This was a shout that was recorded in all three Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke. And when the ladies looking for the body of Jesus go into the tomb, they meet God's messengers who say, he is not here, he is risen. Jesus cried, it is finished. And so he rose from the grave. Death could not keep him because he had, he had not done anything wrong. He was sinless. And Jesus broke the curse of death. He broke the authority of death. That's why in that wonderful passage in Matthew, 
Jesus says in Matthew 28 verse 18, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And that means the authority not only over life, but the authority over death. Death could not keep him. It had no claim over him. So he rose again. So that when we commit our lives to him, he breaks the curse of sin in our lives. He breaks the curse of death upon our lives. So that we too can rise with him to newness of life. Not only life when we die later on, but life begins now in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. He removed the sting of death for us. So the Apostle Paul shouts, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? So what is your shout today? Do you shout, Hosanna? Come, Lord Jesus. Come and save me. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Or are you trying to silence the message of Jesus in your own heart? God is wanting to talk to you. God is wanting to reach you on this Easter day. Are you shouting with the Good Friday crowd, crucify him, trying to drown out the reasoning of Pontius Pilate by shouting louder. Jesus made his shout. He defeated the claim of death over us. But to receive that promise, to receive that victory, we need to cry, Hosanna. Come, Lord Jesus, come and save us. Come and save me. Amen.